0: hey listeners hey what's up everybody we are back this is up back through a podcast brought to you by running the show a blog for everybody in love with the beautiful game Uh, Today is a pretty fun uh, episode we have a special guest joining us which is only something we've only done a couple times but this is going to be an interesting one this is a writer that uh, our uh, fellow co host David Cellini knows quite well from uh, total football analysis in Europe and he's, uh, you know what I'll just let David introduce uh, our guest and um, we're going to talk about some interesting stuff today so David introduce uh, Mr Tobias.
1: Yes, I will. Uh, just uh, before that, uh, hi Eddie. I ho- hope you're doing well. <laughs> good
0: morning. Good morning or good evening. Good morning. Good, to me, good morning to you guys. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Tobias is um, a, a really good anal- analyst and a, a good coach, uh, from from what I can can figure out from from reading his piece and having discussions on on drills and tactics and stuff. Uh, obviously, I haven't seen him coach in the flesh yet, but I'm sure that will come at some point. But uh, yeah, so uh, I, I got to know him a few years ago when we when we like freelance worked for the same site, Total Football Analysis. So that's that's basically it. So uh, let's let's hear from the man himself. Tobias, uh, good morning. How are you? And uh, yeah, please introduce yourself
2: for, for everyone listening. <laughs> uh, good, good morning. Um, thanks. I'm I'm fine, and thank you for having me. So yeah, I wrote for Total Football Analysis. That's why I know David a bit um and the rest is i created my own blog called the false fullback maybe you've heard of it we have a few english pieces but primarily um we write in german um yeah and i'm also currently a youth coach last year i was an assistant coach with a first team yeah and this year i'm not only coaching a youth team but i'm also responsible for the whole way in our club, how we want to set up youth development and which, yeah, which main focus we want to set in each age group. So I'm also more like on a technical side rather than only on a coaching side, yeah.
1: Okay, interesting, because our plan today was basically given how well uh, German coaches are doing in Europe. I mean, the last three Champions Leagues were won by German coaches. So we wanted to basically get your perspective on, on how you develop young players in, in Germany right now. So is there is there anything in particular where you, you think we should start looking at? Uh, we had some nice discussions before we started recording, but but where <laughs> would you like to, to start? Where would you like to bring us into it?
2: I think the the biggest discussion in Germany we have is um, that after the World Cup 2018, we've seen that we have a lot of players who are technically gifted, who are great at passing the ball, who are great in tight spaces, but we don't have that many dribblers, like the classic player going one v one on the on the wing and yeah, just beating a defender and deciding a game. And that's why we have a big discussion in Germany how to how to change the way we develop youth players to have more those freestylers who can play one v one. And I think this discussion is, it's typical German, it goes to the extremes. It's either completely passing and play the Spanish way, and now it's, okay, we definitely need one we one players, just focus on that. Yeah, so I think that's quite interesting to start with. Okay, so so uh, would you say there's, a,
1: is there a majority that, that would like to go? down that route the more individual route and and focus on that and how how would you go about doing that in like in practice
2: Um, so yeah there is probably a majority who wants to focus more on the individual development of a player and I think that's clever so especially if the players are younger we should focus on developing them individually the thing for me is if you want to create world-class we one players you can't just focus on only training 1v1 because the problem with those 1v1 drills is that for me there's personally there's a decision missing so this, the decision whether to pass the ball or to start a dribbling is super important and i often have the feeling that in our in our way we want to train our players we lose a bit the context of the game and i think if you want to have great um, dribblers you need that context for instance where am i um which space am I located? How is the defense behaving? Should I pass or should I dribble? And those decisions are crucial to develop the right players. And I have the feeling that this is a bit missing at times. But I don't know how it is, for instance, in Sweden or so. Yeah, whether you have the same <clears throat> think,
1: discussion. Yeah, like in, in Swedish football in general is extremely collective uh, in terms of basically everything we do. Uh, I think at the youngest age groups there will be a focus on on creating good individual players uh, to get some kind of foundation for for them building the tactical elements of the team as they as they grow older uh, so there's definitely a focus on on uh, improving you know skill and 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 all the technical abilities you need to be able to to play as part of a team further on but we we never really. I might be wrong, but because I don't work with the youngest age groups, but my understanding is that we always focus on like three v three. That's the, that's the first bit. Uh, so it's always in a team context. It's not like uh, we focus on on doing you know, proper one v one training. We obviously have those exercises and those focuses at at academies and stuff, but but it's always in a team element. So it would always be. Dribbling with teammates around you, I think. Uh, so then, definitely, we would get that decision-making aspect that you were that you were talking about. Uh, so I, I think we don't really have that discussion as clearly as you seem to have on on how we should develop those players. But but it's definitely an interesting one because I think there's been a, there's been a development in in football in general that the the Barcelona way of of a decade ago and that we see now with, you know, the likes of, of Pep's buy-in and, and Pep City, and and then obviously we've had the the other side of it, that like the Klopp, the the Klopp and Rangnick style with pressing and counter-pressing. But there's been a, a, a big focus on creating good passers, and and the ability of, of keeping possession has been been extremely important. And then you have probably, as you've alluded to, like the discussion in Germany that you've lost the kind of the kind of ability to to break through a defense. Just you keep the ball and you and you're really good in, in your build-up, but it's difficult to go and create chances because at some point you need you need a player to to break through. And if that's by by playing an incisive through pass, then that's obviously great. But but sometimes you need you need someone to to beat a man one v one. So so yeah, uh, I think it's an interesting one. But but I would say we're more focused on the collective. Uh, in in terms of in terms of our youth development, because yeah, everything is is built around the team, uh, so that might be
2: a sm- a slight <laughs> different right now. Yeah, yeah, true. I think where this discussion also is heading the wrong way for me is that when we talk about one we one, we always only think about wingers. Like <clears throat> take uh, Leroy Sané as an exception in Germany, who is a great dribbler, but he's that he might be that classic winger. But I think in the future of football, we need more players like a Jamal Muziala who is able to create with his dribbling between the lines, for instance. Or mm. I think we also need more defensive midfielders like a Frankie de Jong or yeah, maybe a Marco Verratti or Joshua Kimmich who are able to, to break a line by just dribbling with the ball. And there this 3v3 approach is super crucial. And we have that in Germany as well. We are thinking about changing the way our youngest players compete against each other, but I think all too often our coaches focus on those one we one drills in the training session. And mm. yeah, as I said, for me that's not really the right way to go because then yeah, some players if they are playing in the center of the of the pitch, they they never have those clear one we one situations. So they might just receive the ball with the back to the opponent or i don't know surrounded by three opponents and we Mm. need players to have yeah to to make the right decisions in those moments and that's why we have to maybe create it create different drills make it a bit more complex i think it's also a lot about the way you you have your vision as well as how do you collect um, information as a player do you have a good yeah surrounding view to see where is space and where are my my opponents and I think yeah the 3v3 way might be the right one and we have that in Germany as well we want to to change the whole setup in youth in the in the youngest age group I guess um to play it's called funinho Um, it's we play 2v2 or 3v3 but not with one big goal but with two mini goals on each side so it's less the focus on finishing and more to focus on playing with each other and um, having a yeah a fluent game which never stops and uh, which is more focused on combining and then dribbling at the right moment mm-hmm. yeah that's a bit the change we have at the moment yeah i think that's
1: really interesting because i love that game uh yeah. <laughs> I, I i do that with like when i have coached like young players at, at academies or, or right now when i coach first team players uh who are like, on the cusp of the professional game, I mean, it's just, it's so much fun, and and players are so involved when you play games like that, so basically, what you described there, so two mini goals on each end, like, a, I call it a box, we play, like, 16 meters by 14 or something, and then 2v2, mm-hmm. I also put wall players at either side, uh, just to to be able to get, because I wanted to work on, like, the, like the concept of the third man and, and, and vertical combination, where we can play forward and then support the run and stuff, uh, and just, you just do that and play to first to 10 points or something uh, in training and, and players will be so engaged and so involved and, and like balls will be flying in. So we, we play that as soon as the ball dies, a new ball comes in. Uh, yeah. And I, I guess for, for play for like for young players, if you want to develop and, and get to practice all these skills, you, you need to play for longer because otherwise if the ball goes out, they don't get any contact time with it. But just in general, for, for any coach listening drills like that, I mean, it's, even if it's 2v2 two two, you can get so much into it in terms of concepts like you get combination play you get 1v1 one one, you get uh, individual defending you get defending as as a pair and pressing and covering you get you get counter pressing obviously you get the ability uh to for the for the uh, for the players to to practice their their recovery runs as i call them or back pressing like if if we play with these wall players so if the ball goes into one then you need to get back and defend after the ball has been played you know, past you, so you can get like anything really in your game. You can get into that that little um, exercise. So, in terms of of developing players, I think it's 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 a wonderful idea, uh, and I think this is a, a a nice way we're moving with youth coaching in general. And I think it might be similar across Europe, but definitely it sounds like it in Sweden and, and Germany. Because when I started playing, as uh, so when I was I don't know six or seven. We played five a side straight away. Uh, and that's only f- four outfield players, obviously. So you do get a chance to get the ball a lot. But if you take that down to, to 3v3, there's a one less player on the pitch, more chances of you getting the ball. Uh, and if you then go down to 2v2, like this, there's literally no, no place to hide. So you will get the ball. You will be forced to to solve situations that, that appear. Uh, so hopefully uh, we can see more teams... More teams go yeah. in that route, and and I just want to pick up as well on your point about players players' ability to dribble in central areas. Uh, I think that's that's a massive one, and uh, we see it sometimes with with uh, like when centre backs are, are confident enough to step out with the ball and step into midfield and dribble past the first line of pressure, that creates all sorts of problems for the opposition. Uh, and when you can do it in midfield as well, I'm going to bring Eddie in here because I know he he will just appreciate me saying that that uh, or actually bring Yaya Tori into the discussion because he was brilliant at that just running through the pitch for City back in the day. So Eddie will, will enjoy that and, and what what do you say, Eddie, about this uh, sort of template with, with playing with a few players on small spaces and, and working on all these these details that Tobias is on about.
0: Well, I think the two-goal aspect changes it all, doesn't it? It's so so innovative and so, like, well, so simple and so effective because that just kind of ensures that the attack will never uh, fizzle out or never kind of, like, you know, stay stagnant or anything um, for too long. It'll always be probing. It'll always be really engaging, and players will have to, like you said, they'll be forced to defend. They'll be forced to make decisions, like, over and over and over especially if you're just feeding the ball in every time it goes out like you say mm. um so it's i think that's fantastic and i can't speak directly to what the united states has changed about their approach to uh to, to developing players but there's definitely been some sort of switch to uh just more technique just more ta- or technical technical ability um and you know from a young age just just repetition on simple things you know and i think that's uh that's definitely played a huge part in the kind of um resurgence uh, shall we say of a, a few we have we have a fairly strong generation i would say right now for you know for the united states not uh, mm. but but we have you know we have we have a few top-notch players at, at big clubs in europe and uh i think it's just generally a result of uh, the u.s is fi- they they finally decided that it wasn't all about just athletics and physique and all that like that's kind of the american approach to to a lot of things that have to do with sports, and it plays out really well in some sports like American football and basketball. But it's not in in, in football in soccer you can you can be good uh, any any way you want. And I mean when I say that I mean like you can be a hu- you can be a huge athlete and just run past people, or you can be a small uh, just clever player. You know, like an Iniesta or something. It's just you know. Uh, just very intelligent, not, not the most athletic, but just positioning and technique and things are just on another planet. So that's, that's the beauty of soccer. And that's what Americans are kind of coming around to is it's, you can, you can develop players, not just uh, to be, you know, big and strong and, and just traditional athletes, but any, anybody virtually can be a good soccer player in a different way. So um, anyway, yeah, strange segue, but I had to, I had to give the, uh, the perspective of what the Americans are are doing to kind of develop our players over here a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, so to be to bring you back to to your day to day work. So you said that you are are responsible for creating some kind of uh, program for how you coach young players at at your club. Uh, can you go into a bit more detail, like what exactly do you do and how do you approach that?
2: Yeah, so basically we as a club, so we are just an amateur club with like a little bit of ambition to get further ahead or move up a bit. Um, And our plan was to just have specific learning goals for each age group in order to help our coaches. We have a lot of young coaches who start coaching Um, just to give them, yeah, like a guideline. Okay, what should you focus on training or teaching your players in this age group? And then also we try to provide drills as well as give our coaches, or teach our coaches the ability to create their own drills. And my task is basically to connect all of this. So I'm watching a lot of training sessions. I try to improve our coaches, give feedback, um, do kind of workshops where I explain, for instance, how counter pressing works. Then I'm also mm. sitting together with those coaches um, trying to teach them how to create an own drill. And that's why I found that the uh, aspect you said with the two v2 so interesting. Because just let me add to it, if you want to coach dribbling for instance, you can take this 2v2 or 3v3 and simply remove one player from one team. So they are in an underload situation. And then of course dribbling is the key. And there are so many possibilities and variations in which you can improve your players by using those drills. And that's exactly what I try to teach my coaches at our club as well. Take a basic drill and then just try to figure out what are the issues your players have, and then adjust this drill to focus more on this specific aspect. Like it could be runs behind the last line, for instance, then you can create a a zone right in front of those mini goals in which a player first has to move without the ball to receive the ball, for instance and all those things um yeah that's basically my task Mm. interesting because then
1: we're basically coming into the the idea of of uh, exercise design like how we design our training sessions and and we can get so we can design a drill or an exercise to make players do something without necessarily having to tell them to do it because as you said if you're if you're playing 2v3 it's going to be difficult to create like advantages around the ball in terms of you can obviously try and get the defensive team to one side and then just isolate one and go two v one against that player but it's going to be difficult so so in in that way you don't have to tell them to dribble because they will be forced to dribble uh, and I, I like to to look at that as as a challenge for players as well because uh, in my team we, we talk a lot about how we can play through lines diagonally so how how we can play through teams. And we always do this drill. And I think I think anyone involved in coaching or football in general have seen it. Like when you play 4v4 four, four four and you have three uh, neutral players, one on each end and then one free in the middle. It's the classic Guardiola positional play drill. And every, and every, every team in the world, I think, does it. Uh, but a few weeks ago, we had three goalkeepers and uh, I wanted to make it... I wanted to make it... Uh, more realistic for them uh, to join the session uh, and uh, as 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 we wanted to work on diagonal uh, passing we basically changed the, the the you know this the design of the pitch so we made it into a triangle with three with three ends instead of of uh, instead of two uh, and then naturally when you play in a triangle if the pitch is in a triangle like basically due to the constraints of the of the geo- geometry of of the pitch you will be forced mm-hmm. to play diagonally as well uh, and then players will implicitly you know position themselves in angles where they can break lines and and make themselves options for for diagonal passing and that's just one example of how we as coaches can design can design our sessions so that players will do what we want them to without us having to tell them all the time and that's a, that I think is an important part for learning that that you will if you play in that way and you will just oh now I created this angle and this is maybe this is what they mean with diagonal passing and you can come to your own conclusions and that will create this this understanding and game intelligence that you were on about earlier when when to dribble when to pass and stuff like this uh so so that's that's a really good point that that uh, you can have some kind of a coordinating role to go go around and, and watch training and give them feedback and and uh, hopefully create your like the club can create some kind of bank of exercises that you can do that you feel like okay this yeah. is this speaks to our philosophy as as a team. Do you have like a a, a playing philosophy at the club as well?
2: Um, yes, kind of. I would say we never con- we never defined it perfectly, but our first team is really playing the way of having possession, even if we are a weaker team uh, who always wants to press high and counter pressing. Of course, plays an important role so we at least encourage our coaches in every youth team youth team to to yeah let them play let their players play and let them make mistakes and try to build up from behind and not only use long balls and that's mm. basically always the, the approach we want to see and as you've described it and I think that's the perfect way to create a drill and to to act as a coach is the game should be your teacher so the game should be the the first step if i want to for instance as you've said um, train diagonal play that's my starting point and i think there are a lot of coaches make mistakes they know they want to train something but they never look at a concrete game situation and just take a drill from the internet and that's basically the problem i'm facing right now that i have to change that a bit um, but if you start from the game and then just think okay how can i create a drill where this specific aspect is the central and every player will implicitly learn how to apply it if it is dribbling or diagonal passing or whatever, yes. and then just change the constraints a bit. I think that's the way to go. Then then we are at this point where we are not breaking apart football into technical and tactical and physical approach, but where we, where we combine everything and that's how we should develop players. Because in football, yeah, There's always the technical aspect to every action, but also a tactical, a mental, and a physical um, aspect. And that's also Mm. maybe if we want to link it to the the way the US is developing their players. If they realize, okay, we can't just focus on the physique of a player, we have to to train him in context and always have technical and tactical um, tasks for every player. I think that's the right way to go in the future. And then we don't have the issue of training sessions without any decisions for the players to make because that doesn't make any sense
1: yeah and i think that's the i mean the the best session for a player especially when you if the players are a bit older i mean you can probably talk to young players a lot but but i think young players will probably switch off after a few, after a few seconds when you speak on the pitch because they just want to play uh, so if you can design this the drill that you do in to get them to to practice something without you having to tell them, uh, or just by by adapting rules, uh, it will it will help them massively in, in their development. So say you want to like another example of that would be if you want to practice counter pressing and you you have a plan to stop a team, you want to win the ball back in this in the same you know area where you lost it basically. So just divide the pitch into into I don't know some kind of of sonal game. So you uh, I, I, I would normally do. I would have a a, a midline and then one line that goes like vertically from between the two goals if we if you play and then just okay so if you lose the ball in 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 one of the spaces and then you win the ball back in that space and go on to score you will get two points for that goal uh, and then players they want to win the game and they want to sc- they want to beat the opponent and they want to score as many goals as possible and get as many points as possible so they will you know implicitly or if that's explicitly for you, then, then it might be explicitly as well. But I'm not telling them about counter-pressing. I could just tell them to to win the ball back in the same area. And then they will come to understand the, the concept of how I want them to act when we lose possession. I want them to win the ball back straight away. So they will focus on winning the ball back in that same space. Because they get extra points if they do that and go and score. And that's just another example. I don't have to spend five minutes talking about why and, and how and, and stuff. Then you can you can just adapt, you know, based on that the fact that you have practiced this earlier and that you have some kind of plan, not just throw it in there. But but say you do a session on counter pressing, and then when you have the game at the end, you don't have to go on and on and on about about counter pressing again. You can just adapt the rules slightly so that you might get out of the session what you want. And I think that's the that's the could be you know said to be the beauty of coaching when you can get. With as few instructions as possible, you can get players doing what you want them to uh, and then develop that ability. I think that's, that tells you a lot about how how players will enjoy training because very few players like to stand around listening to their coach. Uh, so if we can do that, I think we will be able to create a lot of good good young players uh, coming through the systems. Uh, turning back to Germany then. So <laughs> I, I know I went, on, on, went off on a bit there, but... But in terms of of, uh, coach education, have you started your
2: education uh, in any way? Actually, not yet. I'm planning to start it next week, uh, next year. It's just too much with university right now. I see, I see. All right, and I'm not gonna ask you about the focus on on those (laughs) courses.
1: (laughs) Uh, But in terms of of, uh, the coaches actually coming through the system right now, because uh, from an outsider looking in, it seems like Germany is probably the country that we would be looking at as the best for giving young coaches a chance. Uh, do you have any idea why that's the case or or do you agree with that? because there seems to be always some some young coach coming through and and uh, who who is the next like batch of coaches coming through that you that you
2: feel are important for us to to keep an eye on? Um, regarding the first point so yes i think we in germany give young coaches a lot of chances i think that's a trend that changed over the last years we also had those classic old coaches who would always get another job and another job and another job maybe like those in the premier league Um, but at one point that stopped i think also because those old coaches weren't delivering the results that clubs want to have and in particular, younger coaches get the chance when when um, clubs are facing relegation. The perfect example would be Julian Nagelsmann. If he he got promoted to the first team coach of Hoffenheim when they were struggling to to stay in the Bundesliga, and he performed by having a clear plan and by yeah challenging the players. And it's not those. Okay, I take my old the old way of playing football and fight a lot and play on the counter attack. No, they are preparing better and I think they, yeah, they they bring more to the table in terms of how can I help a team within the game to improve. And due to, I guess, Julian Nagelsmann, also uh, uh, Thomas Tuchel and uh, Jürgen Klopp, all coaches who weren't great players, this whole perception of promoting a, a youth coach to the first team job, yeah, changed and more clubs are willing to do it because I also think that most of the German clubs are, I would say, yeah, they have constraints in terms of how much money they can spend. So Mm -hmm. it's important to find intelligent ways to improve as a club. And here your coach plays a major role. If your coach is not trying to be on the edge of new innovation, how to train or new tactics, it is hard to stay in the Bundesliga because you face a lot of, well-coached teams every week. We might we don't have probably the the greatest in terms of spectacular combinations, but we have always in the Bundesliga solid defensive teams with great pressing strategies. So you need coaches who are able to, yeah, to to deal with this. And um, yeah, that changed in Germany a lot. And the next coaches, um, I'm looking forward. That's actually a hard question. Um, since I'm not that much into the youth football in Germany, where probably the most of the young coaches are, I think we should take a look at Paderborn's coach, Lukas Kwasoniak. I hope I pronounce his name correctly. Uh, he was before in the third division in Germany and uh, worked very successfully there. And Paderborn all the way, uh, also looks like a good team as well. He had interesting ideas in the past, and I'm sure he will... He will get a job in the Bundesliga at one point. And then I'm also looking forward to how Miroslav Klose um, develops as a coach. He was last year at Bayern Munich. Um, yeah, and I think he will be right. Yeah, the next club will probably think about him. And Werder Bremen, his former team, is looking for a new coach now, since there was a bit of a incident with a faked vaccination uh, certificate. And the <laughs> coach crazy. resigned. Yeah. So Miroslav Klose might be the next big one. And I think he's very talented. I worked at Bayern Munich and um, yeah, everyone said he's a great coach and they wanted to keep him, but he wanted mm. to leave. Yeah. So I think those two come in mind and we should take yeah. a look at those or focus more on those coaches. Klose
1: will Klose will be really interesting because he was obviously exposed to like the old uh, style of coaching when he was young yeah. uh, before the... The revolution of all the, what do you call them, the, the training centers and the and the uh, the focus on on pressing, I guess, with the Rangnick way and, and stuff that that led to to the the success of the national team and then obviously the the influx of ideas from Guardiola and and, and Joachim Löw. Uh, so he, he seems to be someone who could bring a lot of different perspectives to his to his to his teams in the future. So yeah, really good shout. Uh, I, I I didn't prepare this question but I just came to think of it now, like you mentioned pressing strategies in, in, in the Bundesliga for, for a lot of teams and that they were really well yeah. thought out and stuff, uh, <laughs> would you say in terms of, of like tactical trends, what do you see in, in German football, is it is it the, cause from, a, from an outsider's perspective it's all about pressing, it's all about counter pressing, like those two concepts are really yeah. strong, uh, is that is that accurate or is this do you see something else that's that's really important for
2: teams yeah so pressing and counter pressing is basically the basis of every team if your pressing is not good you won't survive in the bundesliga i would say um okay. those are the main things i think there is a trend towards uh, that we are better in possession now if you look at sc freiburg this year they are innovative in possession playing with three at the back and then basically six midfielders and only one striker And i think more teams are trying to improve on that end simply to be able to beat the defensive shape which is compact or pressing which is aggressive so we see more of that but the funny part is that a few years back we all played basically the same pressing style all the teams and now it changes a bit we have influences of teams pressing in a diamond with two strikers and a back four we have teams using the 5-2-3 again the classic 4-4-2 and also coaches start to change the way in which we direct the opponent in pressing so more coaches focus on forcing the the opponent to play through the center rather than the wings simply to have a better or to if you win the ball just easier to um, continue your attack without Immediately losing the ball, usually counter pressing. Of. So there are a few minor changes, but the big, big one is probably that we are slowly going towards more thinking about how we can break apart a defensive shape, basically. Mm. So it's more about possession these days.
1: Yeah, that that's also natural, I think, because if you if teams press high True. and press yeah. well, you need to you need to obviously break through that press. Uh, and I, I think it's also quite you know, reasonable that if if most teams press high you would probably spend more time working on how you deal with a high press rather than how you break a deep block uh so yeah. so that it's interesting is is a team then that I will have to watch closely I read your piece mm-hmm. on them a few a few weeks ago so it seems to be a really interesting team uh is there a difference in in how t- like you mentioned how that teams use different structures pressing and stuff uh because in Italian football that I watch a lot, like some teams they press man for man and some teams press more in a ball-oriented manner. Uh, what's, what would you say in Germany? Is it very much ball orientation there? Like the, the Jesse Marsh kind of and, and Nagelsmann I guess and, and Rangnick style or is there, is there a mix with teams going for a more
2: man-marking approach? I think there's a mix. Um, many teams use those, I call it, man orientations it's not mm. clear man marking all the time but there is also this ball oriented approach but i think using those men orientations simply helps you since you always create pressure if an opponent receives the ball and you don't have to be i think you can cover more of the pitch you don't have to be that vertically compact if you use those men orientations simply because you create so much pressure and mm. those yeah this is basically the main aspect many teams use which, again, challenge you on the on the uh, possession side of the game. How can I break apart men orientations? That's something I think about a lot since we also had it last year when I was assistant coach for our first team in our club. We always face teams playing with men orientations. And it's challenging, but it's interesting to see, I think later we talk about Nagelsmann. he also focuses tremendously on how to to play against men orientations and has a few interesting concepts. Uh, and well, then
1: you you let no, go ahead one second yeah. Eddie I'm just gonna yeah yeah because then you can tie it all back to what you started with the focus on dribbling because if you come up against a man man oriented oriented system and then you're you're able to beat the first man you create obviously an overload somewhere so so you can, we can uh, all <laughs> go back to the, to the start when we develop our young players to, to play one v one. yes Eddie go on
2: well, I,
0: no, I just wanted to, uh, if you don't have any objections, uh, Tobias just mentioned uh, Nagelsmann, and I was going to see if we wanted to to uh, focus on him for a little bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. Anybody, uh, anybody,
2: yeah. Yeah, wait, let me just, I have one last thought, with, <clears throat> which might be interesting, if, yep. I, if it's okay. Um, in Germany, we have the discussion whether we want to stop playing competitive games at the under 18, uh, under 19, and under 17 um, level. Since too many young coaches in Germany, who yeah, who uh, are responsible for the youth teams, they are focused heavily on getting results because getting results will probably lead you to get a promotion and maybe for uh, coach in the Bundesliga. So we have this issue in Germany actually that that there's too much reliance on results. That's why we don't have that much tactical innovations in the last years in the youth system. And it might be interesting to think about whether whether it is useful to not play competitive games in the under-17, for instance. I would love to, to get to hear your take on that. Uh,
1: in th- like, like in terms of, of uh, you, you wouldn't play like for tournaments and and medals and stuff when you play on the same teams yeah uh,
2: yeah, there wouldn't be relegation or there wouldn't be a league to play in. there would just simply be friendly games all the time basically
1: i think there's two two sides that i'm like from a developmental perspective in terms of just developing players on like as as players in terms of of what we want them to do technically tactically I, i see there's a benefit of not focusing too much on results but then I mean as the players get older and they will go into senior clubs, uh, it will be all it will be about winning as well. Uh so I, I think I think if you can have some kind of mix between like in, in an ideal world you'll be able to focus on on your development as well as as how, how you win a game or or that you want to create players with the with the uh, mentality to go and win games rather than just be happy with a performance if the result was uh, was poor, for example uh, but I think that's difficult because that's a balance that's hard to get like, to get right I think in general most players will want to win regardless if you tell them it's important or not uh, but yeah I think I think we need to at some point it's also important for players to start thinking about. What, what extra can I do to make sure we win the game? So, uh, like, can I make that extra run in behind to to break the defense, or can I make that extra uh, pressing run to stop them playing out and then prevent us from from going under pressure, or whatever? But then that's also in terms of developing your style of play, I guess. So it's all connected, but it's difficult to <laughs> like, Eddie. What do you yeah. say?
0: i I think you're right, man. I think you have to have some sort of balance, just because at a certain age, like and I, and I do see both sides to it quite clearly. It's like you, on the one hand, you do want to focus on just the, uh, just the, uh, the concepts that you're trying to get across and you don't want people to, and and I remember you guys both remember if you played it, there's times when you feel just like under such pressure to play, uh, you know, maybe like to not make a mistake or just like um, to try to get like the the tactics just right. So like when the, when the result matters, it does put kind of like unwanted pressure on you. And I know that's weird to say, because at the end of the day, the whole point is competition. If you're playing for something that is, so it's, it's, I, I see both sides of it. And, and like you said, I was, there's gotta be a mix because, um, yeah, at some point you just do want your players to have the mentality of winning and to, you know, pl- again, playing like you want to play and winning how you want to win. But there, I think there just has to be some sort of, uh, educational aspect for like the killer instinct and just kind of like you know uh the urgency and the pressure so i'm not sure when that should be and i'm i'm, I'm really interested to see how it plays out in germany because i think it could be uh revolutionary and uh, who knows that, that that could be the way of the future but um leave it to the germans to figure it out before all of us you know <laughs>
2: <clears throat> yeah i was thinking whether you could take a more tournament approach rather than playing a league. So maybe you have like oh, yeah. five tournaments over the course of the whole year. Then there is a competitive aspect to it. But yeah, if you don't perfectly perform in one tournament, you still have the chance the next four or so, which would also help coaches to play more players who are not that physically gifted yet. Because we have that issue as well, of course, like in every European country that the early developers um are getting more playing time so maybe there are players who are born in december which of course are almost a year almost a year younger than their play than their teammates who are born in january and that's why they don't play but maybe they are great footballers and simply don't get yeah this focus on development from their coaches which could also be beneficial if you have like more tournament approach for instance
1: yeah i think that's that's a good idea as well like you don't have to have competitive games every day uh, or every week. You can you could spread it out over over the course of a year, and then you focus on those on those uh, occasions that you really this is this is about winning. And then when you play games, it's it's not about the result in a way. Uh, so I, I think that's a, that's a decent solution as well. Then you get you, then you get both and you get that mix that we run on about. Uh, really good stuff. Really good stuff to be honest. I I wanted I wanted to hear your th- Thoughts about Nagelsmann as well and, and his yes. work with Bayern so far. So you, you mentioned some interesting concepts. Is there, like, wh-
2: where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> um, I can start with the way Bayern starts their build-up. And there was a change under Hansi Flick. You may, yeah, mainly used the back four, where Pavard or Süle played as a right back. Since Bayern has this issue that they don't have a decent right back in the classical sense and Nagelsmann changed it a bit and Bayern is now in possession basically playing with a back free. so this right back Süle-Opavar, yeah becomes a I think it's called halfback sorry if I'm not perfectly correct with the position terms in that, English that sounds great <laughs> perfect and then Bayern basically creates a diamond in the center so Goretzka moves further up uh, Zani is in the left half space and Thomas Müller, for instance, in the right half space. And Davies and Gnabry on the wing and Lewandowski up front. So they have always an overload in the center. They are really focused on using those third man combinations under Nagelsmann, which is a slight change to the way um, Hansi Flick plays. They use less crosses, for instance, as well. But the interesting part is how, for instance, Bayern uses Leroy Zani. He plays in the left half space and not on the wing. And in order to to free him up between the lines, since Zani is not the. He's not perfectly behaving under under pressure. He's not that kind of player, like for instance, Musiala. But in order to free him up, um, Robert Lewandowski always moves to the left half space. And then the defense faces this issue, okay, I can't step up to press Leroy Zane because there's Lewandowski. And if I step up, there is a big hole in my defense and Lewandowski is through or Alphonso Davies, who is running down the wing. So they have to stay in position. And then this allows Bayern to find Leroy Zane between the lines and he can turn and then dribble towards the defense, which creates a lot of dynamic and which is an interesting way to do to, bre- to break apart those man orientations. So Bayern always focuses on overloading one side. Also, they are not that strict on those classical positional play rules of having only two players on the same vertical line, but they basically use three or four players um, close to each other in order to, yeah, to force the opponent to to shift to that side. And then they try to find a free player like Joshua Kimmich or Leroy Sané between the lines and that's really the changing aspect of Nagelsmann of Nagelsmann taking over from Flick this this focus on okay how can I break apart men orientations yeah,
1: that that's that's really interesting stuff and a really clever use of of the players you have and and as well then you get a, a natural dribbler in central areas as well as Sané as always anyone who's watched him at City back in back in those seasons, knew he was devastating when he was running at defenders. So if you can do that from central areas, I mean, that's obviously a, a very difficult thing to defend against. And then, as you mentioned, with the pace of Davies, <laughs> are wide and Lewandowski coming over to that side as well. And I think that's also interesting because if, then if, like, if you have so many players centrally that, and you focus on these combinations, players are quite close together, right? And then yeah. if you lose the ball, there are a lot of players that are, you know, in theory, ready to, to go and win it back straight away. So you can create pressure and and really pin teams back into their own defense. Would you say, is that something they focus on as well in
2: terms of the counter pressing? Yeah, tremendously. Uh, Nagelsmann always talks about having close distance between each player. That's why they also focus on not completely um, stretching the opponent in possession. So the ball far winger usually is not... Uh, occupying the zone close to the to the sideline but actually moves inwards so you can imagine it like if the ball is on the left side Serge Gnabry Gnabry, the the right winger is basically positioned in the half space in the right half space so Bayern has extremely close connections to each other in order to counter press which was a weakness last year under Hansi Flick they uh, they conceded a lot of counter-attacking goals and Nagelsmann focuses on that so, yeah, this close connection to each other is really crucial for Bayern's play. Nevertheless, the counter-pressing is not working perfectly all the time. They lost to Augsburg um, on Friday. I haven't seen the match, but against Gladbach, they, they lost 5-0 uh, five, five nil in, the, in the DFB uh, Cup. And yeah, that was the thing where this counter-pressing approach never really worked. And you simply see if your counter-pressing is weak, you don't have a chance against German teams usually yeah oh, uh really
1: interesting that just uh, in terms of of the width uh discussion with number coming inside uh piece on the blog running the show blog.wordpress.com uh different ways of using width and when you attack uh we, nice. we mentioned that we <laughs> call that i i call that like when you adapt your width based on the with the opponent really, uh, to stay connected. Yeah. Uh, so if people want to read up and see some more examples of how that might look in practice, then then head to the blog. Uh, we have a piece that has a really good nice
2: nice plug to be us. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, the, yeah. the main point to understand there is if your player should stay wide, you want the opponent to react to it. And if the player if your own player is staying too wide the, obo- the opponent simply doesn't care about this player since it takes too much time yeah. to, to reach him, And I think that's always the focus you should have. Your opponent has to react to your position. And if you are exactly. too wide, the opponent doesn't react.
1: Exactly. One, one thing that I that I thought about, and it, it might be difficult to see sometimes on, on television, uh, I haven't seen that many Nagasman games at Bayern, but I, I remember at Leipzig, he played his centre-backs almost as they, they marked the opposition strikers. So they played really high at times if, if the strikers, if, like if Leipzig were attacking and they were, were really pushing a team into their own uh, into their own box and then the strikers would come deep to defend. Uh, Leipzig's defenders would play really high and basically play, maybe not man-marking, but, but basically in the same spaces where the strikers were. And uh, like I call that counter-marking in a way that you, that you mm-hmm. had moved the defensive line as high as the opponent's highest player, really. Uh, is that something you've seen from from his Bayern team?
2: Yeah, definitely. I was in the stadium two weeks ago, and there was the perfect scene um, right before the the first goal for Bayern, where Upamecano was. Yeah, was almost. Yeah, was almost in this. Yeah, in the sixth space of the opponent in the opponent's yeah. half, so he was extremely <laughs> high positioned. I mean, with three players at the back, it's clever because usually an opponent has only one striker to to counterattack. And this Mm. early marking, I think, is so important to never give the opponent any space to play it out with short passes after they win the ball. Mm. I think it's clever, but of course, there's a risk. A simple long ball behind the the defensive line might be enough. And Bayern's defenders are not that comfortable with with long balls, in particular Zürich. Yeah,
1: yeah it might be uh, might be difficult against someone like the the quickest players uh, but yes. then again yeah. I mean in terms of the connectedness and, and having players close together it makes sense to move the defensive line as well uh, to to make sure everyone's close together and and if you get pressure on that first pass uh, you can also obviously stop them getting out in the first place so yeah I, I'm going to keep an eye on that going forward as well uh, mm-hmm. anything else on Nagasman that you want to that you want to touch on or 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 that do you feel we've covered what you wanted to to uh, to discuss there?
2: I think what you have to know about about this team is um that Joshua Kimmich is the crucial player in the center. And it's interesting if you want to take a look again at, at Bayern, um how they they manage to create space for Kimmich by having those three players and by always looking for the vertical pass. That's like one feature of of Nagelsmann which is also uh, extremely interesting and for me looking forward in the future is how are they going to use Kingsley Coman we've seen it in a few games where they try to isolate him on the wing to have this more focus on crosses once again um, that would be interesting because Nagelsmann is a fan of Coman and how he fits into that team and also how they use Alfonso Davis in the future. I think Davis is such a talented player, in particular in particular again with his dribbling skills. And for me it would be interesting to see him actually playing in a more central role. Or have or having him or giving him the freedom to dribble with the ball towards the center. I think that would be super interesting. And once again another way to challenge the defense. And I'm looking forward to to see those experiments by Nuggetsman, because I'm sure they will come.
1: Yeah, yes, seems like it. Uh, Eddie, uh, like I, I'm, I'm happy there. Like this has been absolutely fantastic and fascinating stuff from you to be us. Uh, really, Thanks. really happy that you came on and and discussed this these uh, different thoughts and ideas from 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 what's going on in Germany. Is there anything that you, Eddie, would like to? To finish off with like anything you want to ask Tobias or do you feel that you've been <laughs> fulfilled as well oh man I'm, I'm good that, that was that was a joy to listen to
0: Tobias talk about uh, uh, Nagelsmann and just everything that comes out of Germany right now it's uh, it's it's a hotbed you know what what was the statistic that you shared earlier David with the Champions Leagues in the last five yeah. years
1: so last three so would be Klopp uh, Flick and Tuchel one, right. one in the Champions so
0: League. yep there you go I mean that's all the proof you need so um yeah thanks so much for getting up early for us uh, tobias we appreciate it uh that was extremely uh entertaining so uh plug your plug your blog for us one more time
2: it's the false fullback called the false fullback
0: false fullback yeah no that's awesome content i've been a freak uh, a frequenter of that site and uh yeah once again no we appreciate you getting up and david we appreciate you getting up too So you guys go enjoy your days (laughs) and uh, I'm going to get to bed. So
2: thanks once again, (laughs) and
0: uh, we'll talk to you soon, everybody. Take care. Thanks,
2: guys.